Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. I'm so excited for this week's episode. I just want to start out by saying that. Secondly, it's like 5 p.m. right now in California, and normally I'm on it. My episodes are scheduled for like 3 a.m. Friday mornings. I finish them Thursday night. That did not happen this week. So my sleep is really messed up right now. If you've listened to my sleep episode, if you've listened to pretty much any of my episodes where I give tips and tricks regarding mental health or depression or anxiety, the biggest thing I always say is sleep because that was so pivotal for me in stabilizing my emotional vulnerability and improving my relationships and just overall feeling better. And these past couple of days have been a disaster. We're talking like not able to fall asleep until like 2 or 3 a.m., cannot wake up in the morning. Yesterday, I think I took like a six-hour nap in the middle of the day. Like, it just has not been a good a good setup, guys. It's not been going very well. But today, we're getting it back on track. I got up at around like seven this morning. Really don't know how I managed that, but my trick that I'm trying out this week, actually, my therapist suggested this to me, was when I go downstairs to let out the dogs, because I do that in the morning, instead of going back upstairs and kind of talking myself into going back to bed. So like I could, I'm already up. I just go back to sleep is the problem. And I'm someone that could literally sleep forever. So her tip was in the morning when I get up and go downstairs is to make a cup of coffee. And she was like, you don't have to drink it. Someone else can drink it. Worst case scenario, just make the cup of coffee. And I was like, okay, fine. And then we were problem solving further and I was like, okay, so I really like watching TV shows at night before I go to bed, which if you know anything about sleep hygiene, blue light TV watching is terrible. And sometimes I get into a good enough place with my sleep routine where I'm like, okay, I can get away with 30 minutes of a show because it's early enough in my night routine. It's fine. I know I sleep better when I don't do that, but I like watching TV. I like The Office. I right now I'm watching Arrested Development. So good. Anyways. So she was like, let's also problem solve for that. So we're moving the TV watching from our night routine into the morning. So I get up, I go downstairs, I let the dogs out. And instead of going back upstairs, going to bed and waking up literally three minutes before my Zoom class that day, I make a cup of coffee. That takes like 10 minutes already and I'm already more awake. I've gotten some fresh air because I take the dogs outside. I don't walk around with them. We don't have that much energy, guys. I just kind of let them go out. And then... While I'm enjoying this cup of coffee, I'll watch a little bit of TV, which I like don't know how I feel about yet. I'm definitely going to feel it out because today at least it was totally a slippery slope because this morning I started watching an episode of Arrested Development and I noticed the entire morning I was watching TV. I was like getting ready and the episode was still on or something like that. So still want to play around with that, but that is kind of the tweaks that I'm trying to make to improve my routine. Another tip that I'm kind of switching up this week is that I am trying my very best, depending on homework, of course, to do a strict unplugged time of 10 o'clock. And then from there, what I've been getting into issues with is I've been really hopping on the self-care train. And so I'm like, I'm going to take a bubble bath and do three face masks and do my hair all before I go to bed and it's already like 11 p.m. and then I spend an hour and a half getting ready for bed and it's just a disaster. So we're also doing like 30 minutes max for anything I'm doing before bed because there's not all the time in the world. So 
maybe this isn't interesting to you. Just wanted to update you on that current sleep situation. Next week, I'll let you know if it's back on track. I feel like it's always reassuring for me to at least know that other people are struggling with that kind of stuff, especially sleep, because it just can destroy everything so easily. So, that is the update on that. Oh, and I have another update, podcast-wise. So, I've been thinking a lot about the episodes that I've been recording recently, and it's been it's been a busy couple of months. College applications, first semester of senior year, um, finals, and then winter break, and I've noticed that the less stressful episodes for me to record, prep for, produce, etc., are ones related to podcasting, production, social media, and I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it's that it's easier co- to connect with smaller creators because there's more in common there, there's less research, and I do love that. And that's what I do for work too, It's like podcast production, branding, social media management, all of that kind of stuff. And what I really love about this podcast and what it always started as and still is today is a mental health podcast for teenagers. And so when I kind of get into those stressful moments, I totally notice that I gravitate towards those easier episodes and that that easier content. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that when there's moments where I need to focus on my mental health and be like, I don't have this extra time this week to completely prep and do this super complex episode with this really amazing guest all about this super niche down topic of mental health. Um, and so sometimes for my for my own sanity and for my own mental health, that means that week doing an interview about behind the scenes going into podcast production or influencing and that kind of stuff. And so that's okay. And I'm noticing for me that I... I love doing the podcast so much more and I feel so much more connected and motivated and passionate about it when it is about mental health, just like this episode this week. So my goal is to kind of reground in those values of mental health and getting experts on the podcast to provide amazing evidence-based tips and tricks and giving you guys teen testimonies and talking about how you can support other teenagers or take control of your own life and really really just diving back into teen mental health and kind of recentering myself. So that's kind of goals going forward. I have some really exciting guests that I've already scheduled or recorded with or ones that I want to pitch and reach out to. So I just wanted to let you guys know that's going on behind the scenes as well. So this week's episode, first things first, disclaimer, I did not uh-oh. We sat down to do this recording and I love this episode so much. There was an amazing back and forth. It was a great episode. And I realized after that I did not have my microphone connected to my computer. Like it was plugged in, but the input selected for recording was my computer microphone. So the audio is not, it's not bad. I still have locally recorded audio. There are worse things in life. It's still, it's not going to make your ears bleed, I promise. But I so wish that I had a really high quality audio for this episode. But I wanted to give you a little bit of an apology and a heads up that we did make that uh uh-oh on the production end of things. So with that being said, this week's guest is Kirsty Taylor. She is a dating and relationship writer, and so she's written for some amazing publications like Cosmopolitan, The Washington Post, Well and Good, Thought Catalog, and she actually has a book that's coming out in February. So the link is in today's show notes. You can go ahead and pre-order that now, which is super exciting. She has a presence on social media, both on Instagram and on TikTok, and she talks all about healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships. So using effective communication, how to set boundaries, 
boundaries and then also the other set of things like codependent relationships attachment styles and all of that kind of stuff and I literally when we recorded this episode I think a month before we'd done the relationship unit in my psychology class and so like everything she was saying I was like oh my gosh yes we just read a study on this like I yes this is just amazing so this episode is really truly one of my favorites and there's so many valuable things to take away from this episode to apply to your life and to just learn and get curious about what's going on for you and your relationships. So before I jump into this, it's always in the show notes, but you can find Kirsty on Instagram at at words with Kirsty and on TikTok at at Kirsty Taylor, K-I-R-S-T-I-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. So two R's at the end of that. And of course, her website links are all in today's show notes. But if you want to connect with her after listening to this episode, go ahead and check her out. But yes, so without further ado, let's jump into it. Hey, Kirsty, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you you for having me. Of course. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey that led you to the relationship work you're doing now? Yeah, totally. So I'm Kirsty, like you said, Kirsty Taylor, and I'm a relationship and dating writer. I also write a lot about um, self-love content. And so from what you told me, our we kind of have similar paths too. What brought me to where I am today is the personal experiences that I've been through. And so I've struggled with depression and um, anxiety since I was young, but it didn't really come to fruition or like become a huge issue until I was getting really deep into dating. And so basically, essentially how it went was it was like a decade of relationship after relationship and dealing with my mental health at the same time. And there was two particularly bad back-to-back relationships. And then I was like, what's going on here? What's like, why do I keep getting into these relationships that don't make me happy? Like, what is it about myself that's wrong? And that's making me get into these bad relationships. And anyways, so I took a year off from dating and I worked on myself and I worked on uncovering some bad dating habits that I had. And then I got really into researching the psychology and theories and everything behind relationships. And I just became obsessed with it. And there was one point where I was like, I'll share my story online and see what happens. Or like a story, not my story, Mm -hmm. a story of mine. And people loved it and it took off from there. And I just kept writing. And since then, I've written for magazines and uh, newspapers and I have a book coming out. So it's all really exciting. But mostly I just love helping people who have been in the same position as me, which I'm sure you understand. Totally. I think it's really interesting what she just said. I saw this quote yesterday on Instagram, and it said, if you do not address your childhood traumas, your relationships will. And of course, not all of us have these super crazy big T traumas in our childhood, but we all have these things that have kind of led us to look at the world the way that we do, whether it's core belief systems, or even just to form more optimistic or pessimistic or the way that we approach relationships. And Mm -hmm. I think that is so true. And that you can, when you're navigating your own life, you can kind of ignore whatever's going on inside. You can be like, whatever, it's fine, bottle it up. But when Mm -hmm. you are really getting to know a person and being your true authentic self and being pushed and challenged, like you can't hide that, like your relationships will address it. So Mm -hmm. I just love that. So I thought it would make sense to kind of talk start by talking about attachment styles and this is something that has brought been brought up so many times in therapy we just went over it in my psychology class like 
all different parts of um, my life. But I think it's really helpful to understand when you're thinking about relationships. So can you kind of walk me through what the attachment styles are and kind of what they can look like? Totally. So when I talk about attachment theory, and there's really... I talk about three main ones, but there's more. There's uh, little subcategories of each one, but essentially the three main ones are secure attachment, avoidant attachment, and anxious attachment. And I should backtrack and say attachment theory is, it was created by, actually, I was about to quote the person that wrote the most famous book on it, but I don't think he's the person that came up with the theory. <laughs> so I'm not sure he came up with the theory, but it came up with, they came up with it in the early 1900s and essentially it has to do with the way that your parents raised you as a child, as a baby, forms your attachments that you create as an adult. So say they affect your attachments as an adult. So say people always use the example of, oh, when you left, when your when your parents left you at pre-K and they left, what what was your reaction? Was it did you cry for a bit and then you went off and played with your friends? Did you cry for hours or were you like meh? And that's like a really interesting way to look at it because it kind of explains your attachment to your parents and how you would act in relationships. So avoidant kids would be like, eh, I don't care. Doesn't bother me. I can, I can deal with this on my own. Anxious kids are going to sit there for like hours and cry and potentially never recoup until their parents come back. Mm -hmm. And secure kids are going to be like, oh, I'm sad, but I can, I can recoup. I can handle this on my own and I'm going to go play with some other kids. And so when it plays out in our relationships, personally, I have an anxious attachment style. So I'm the type of person that when I would date, I would be checking my phone every second. I'd be like, oh my God, was that a buzz? Did someone text me? Or like, if they didn't text me back, I'd be like, there's something wrong with me. What does that mean? Or if someone pulled away from me, I just wanted to like clasp onto them more. Mm-hmm. Avoidant people are more so the people that are like commitment phobes. They don't want to get into relationships they, or they don't want to become emotionally close to someone that makes them feel uncomfortable. And then secure people are basically the epitome of a great relationship and who everyone yeah. would love to be. Like they're, they're fine. Like they deal with conflict. They sometimes get jealous, but they handle it well. They're able to deal with their emotions well. And so I just love attachment theory because for me, it was really the biggest turning point for realizing that there's more out there and understanding relationships and dating and, you know, putting Mm -hmm. a bit of psychology behind it. And I personally love attachment theory. It's great. It's it's so interesting. I remember when we when we learned about it. I think it was a couple months ago now, but you can think about it from the ch- like what the child has learned will be effective in getting love and care and support. And when you think of ambivalent attachment, these kids they've learned that no matter how much I cry or scream or b- express care, there's no guarantee that my parent will reciprocate that and give me that attention. So they've right. learned that there's just not a point in in expressing that sadness or if they are hungry or they're angry, whatever it is, they've just, they've been trained that it's not worth it. And so when you have secure attachment, they do have those natural emotional responses because they know that they can count on their parent to be engaged and responsive and make faces at them and talk to them. And so it's really, really interesting. And in a lot of cases, I don't think parents intend to kind of teach these messages to their babies at such a young age. I saw this, it was actually a TikTok yesterday, and it was talking about a theory about sleep training. And so that's when you like Mm. let the baby just cry themselves to sleep. And it was so interesting because I have babysat when I was younger and I've 
been there when people are like, hey, we're doing sleep training, just let them cry. If it gets to be a really long time, you can go in, calm them down, make sure everything's okay, but they'll cry themselves to sleep and that's okay. And so they did this study where they checked the mom and the baby's cortisol levels. And cortisol is kind of like your alertness, distress, that kind of, that's kind of how you can describe it. And so the first night, baby's crying, mom is stressed because baby's crying, both have really high cortisol levels. Second Mm -hmm. night, same thing. The third night, the baby isn't crying, so the mom's cortisol levels are lower. She's not stressed. But the baby's cortisol levels are just as high, but they've learned that there's no point in doing that distress because they're not going to get a response. Anyways, random tangent. No, that's so interesting, especially I have a friend that's a nanny right now, and she does night nannying sometimes, and that's because they're trying to sleep train, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh. Are you? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. So I wanted to talk about boundaries because we talk about attachment styles. And another really interesting about boundaries is you kind of think I've always thought of them as like, okay, like you're setting boundaries for other people. But you're really Mm -hmm. setting boundaries for yourself and your own mental health. And that was something Mm -hmm. that was really, really hard for me to learn and realize. So I kind of wanted to hear your perspective on that and kind of your advice for people in relationships that are looking to set boundaries. Yeah, I think what you said is really important. Actually, I'm sure you've heard of Brene Brown. She's Mm -hmm. kind of made her way across culture and everything. But she's um, a psychologist and a researcher. And she has a quote that I love. And it's that boundaries aren't meant to keep people out. Boundaries are meant to keep you safe. And I love that idea. And I actually use a metaphor in my upcoming book about like, think of boundaries as like you're, you're at the beach and you have a stick and you're creating lines in the sand and your friends and family and everyone in your life can come and go. But the moment that they do something that makes you feel unsafe, there's going to be a line where they can't cross and you need time to heal and you need time to recoup before they're able to come back. Or sometimes, you know, you remove people from your life, whether that be dating or a friendship. Mm-hmm. But some people really struggle with boundaries. And I think especially as especially women struggle with boundaries because we're taught we need to be the caregivers and we need to give, 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 give. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for us to do- draw boundaries or even men or just anyone. Just Some people are very find it very hard to speak up for themselves. Yeah. But without boundaries... You think that you're making the other person happy, but in but what you're doing in your own yourself is that you're creating resentment. So each time the person makes you feel uncomfortable or you feel violated, that's just going to build up and it's going to create a distance between you. And also just what matters most in a relationship and in life in general is that you feel safe and you feel happy. So that's what really is important about creating boundaries in a relationship is that you feel safe in the relationship. I don't know if you want me to go more into it, but yeah, there's there's a lot of boundaries people struggle with and that I think like everyone, some boundaries everyone should have. I want to hear those. I was going to ask you, what are your recommendations of boundaries to set and yeah. just most relationships? Number one, alone time. You need to set that boundary of, hey, I need this time for me throughout the week. Maybe it's two nights a week or just one day you come home and you're like, hey, I've had a really hard day and I just kind of need like, a night to myself. I think that's an important boundary to set. And that can even be a talk you have with the person you're dating beforehand. You'd be like, hey, like FYI, there is nothing wrong with our relationship if I say I need a night to myself. That's just Mm -hmm. what I need. And Mm -hmm. if someone doesn't respect that, 
that's a whole other thing. That's, you know, you have to have a talk, you have to have more talks with them and maybe convey to them why it's important. Or if they really don't respect it, maybe they're not the right person for you. So that's one spending alone time. And then I think ones that are very interesting. And for the point that I'm at in my life will be different from the point that you're at in your life, but it's Mm -hmm. still like, this these are 20s and I'm you're 19 I assume or 18 I'm 17 17 you're mm-hmm. a teenager okay but still we're at this point where like you're at the point where you're gonna be leaving home soon and everything and it's a, a shift in dynamics with your family and I think family yeah. boundaries are also really important I don't know if this is was relationship specific but I'm gonna go with that anyway yeah no it's so it's so helpful for sure and we forget that like our families those are relationships that need boundaries exactly and to make they sure are. you're feeling emotionally safe yeah so I think this is very interesting because we go through this shift where like we were once kids completely controlled by our parents then mm-hmm. we become adults and so now we're at this point where our parents still see us as kids and our generation the younger generations are at this point where we're much more self-aware than our parents' generation was. So it's also mm-hmm. harder for them to see the world the way that we see it. So sometimes we need to set boundaries that are like, like, I can't be, I can't be talking to you every night on the phone or what you, when you say that one thing, it kind of hurts me and it invalidates mm-hmm. me. Like something I went through my, with my mom was that she kind of invalidated my experience when I went through an eating disorder. And I was like, I need to set this boundary with you. I just don't feel like we, we're on the same page about this. So I just don't want to talk about it. Like there's certain yeah. things like X, Y, and Z is makes me really sad and uncomfortable. So I just don't want those things to be brought up between us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she was a little weird about it first, but it was <laughs> fine. And, and it made our relationship better. So yeah. I think family boundaries are really important, especially um, when you're younger, because you're going through that transition of like a kid to like, functioning have your own thoughts adults Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, totally this is totally random are you an SNL fan by any chance Saturday Night Live Mm -hmm. I've seen it here and there yeah so they did this sketch I think it was two weeks ago maybe it was last week and it was these like zoom call facetime calls where kids were not even kids kids of parents who were independent adults living in another state or city were calling their parents saying hey like I really don't think it's a good idea for me to come home for Christmas this year and Uh the parents were like so you're saying you don't love me and the kid was like no like I that I'm just saying with the state of the pandemic like it just it really doesn't make sense this year and you're like we didn't want you to come anyways it's fine. And I'm totally That's overreacting. So and it was just, it was a hilarious comedy sketch. And I'll link it in today's show notes. But it really does kind of emphasize how you can see so differently in terms of setting a boundary in a relationship. So just having that awareness of what the other person is hearing, offering some validation on that. Right. But yeah, it's, it's hard. I think that what you said is on point, the validation. Some people, older old parents and older people, they just have harder time understanding that like our emotions are what we're experiencing and we don't necessarily want to be like mom you're a bad person it's just like Mm -hmm. mom this is what I'm experiencing if you want to have a great solid relationship like we need to get on the same page about that I think that's funny what you said about the SNL I have to check it out I see the same things on TikTok when it's like oh I try to talk to my my mom about this and all of a sudden it's like oh the the like all the leaves are brown TikTok (laughs) and the mom's just like you hate me. 
you hate me you think I'm a horrible mm-hmm. mom <laughs> so funny but yeah no it's it's definitely really really interesting and something that that deserves some thought and there's also kind of I don't want to I don't know if it'd be described as a power struggle but with a parent-child relationship the parent mm-hmm. already has more authority and power in that relationship so trying to voice your opinion and what you're saying especially if that's an emotional experience can be really uncomfortable or really difficult and really hard to feel seen and hurt and that's something as you get older, you're moving out, whatever it is, really creating a community that can support you and let you be seen and valued and heard and be your authentic self. Because that's something that's so amazing about getting to leave home and be independent is you get to make that community that makes you feel that way, even if you haven't had that before. And so it's, it's an amazing opportunity. This week's episode is sponsored by Teen Counseling. I cannot tell you guys how many DMs, texts, emails I get from teens, parents, even friends asking, how can I find a therapist? How can I enroll in therapy? How can I find a therapist for my teen? How do I tell my parents I want to go to therapy? That's why I'm partnering with Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is an online therapy program with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more, and it's all targeted at teens. They offer text, talk, and video counseling. So no matter what level of support you're looking for, they got you. You're going to go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. You'll fill out a quick survey about what your goals are for therapy, whether that's improving your mental health during the pandemic, working on your relationship with your parents, improving self-esteem, whatever it is, they'll match you with therapists that fit your needs. You'll enter your information and your parents' information. Your parents will get a super discreet email saying your child is interested in working with a licensed therapist at teencounseling.com. They head to the website, learn a little bit more about the program, and a preview to work with a therapist. And from there, you can meet that therapist on a frequency that works for you. This is a great way to dip your toe into the therapy world and get support when you need it without having to go into an office, meet with a therapist, meet with a stranger, and go through all of that for the first time. So you can go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. Again, that's teencounseling.com slash she persisted to get started today. So... I wanted to touch on breakups, something mm-hmm. that many people struggle with. I am terrible at going through breakups. <sighs> uh, so I wanted to kind of hear your tips and tricks for getting over someone, ending a relationship to begin with, and then going from mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I guess I have three main ones. I'm going to say that so I don't forget to hit on each one of them. <laughs> okay. Biggest one. Not biggest one. Actually, I think they're all three really big. But I guess like one of the biggest ones, especially nowadays, unfollow your ex just unfollow them maybe even block them and it's not gonna be like a they're horrible they're mean it's just that you need that time to like remove them from your life you need that time Mm -hmm. to heal and move on and not just keep seeing them and missing them and everything I know it's so tempting to stalk your ex and what they're doing but Mm -hmm. unfollow them unfollow them on snapchat unfollow them on tiktok instagram whatever you're on just no, you're do- not doing yourself any favors. And that kind of goes into my second one, which is just give yourself like two, three, four months, depending on how long the relationship was to just not have any contact with them. I know a lot of people, if especially if the breakup wasn't horrible, or like if you still have kind of feelings for them, and you're like, oh, I want to be friends one day, like, everyone always wants to do that. Everyone always thinks it's a great idea. Maybe it is. But it's not something I don't you're going to so. do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair. I mean, I think for the most part, it's not, it's not necessary, but 
just don't talk to them for three, four, five months. Like give yourself that time to really just focus on yourself and move on. There is no reason to stay in contact with them. And I know it's going to be hard sometimes, but do not send them a text at 2 a.m. being like, I miss you. Don't stalk their social media. Don't do any of that. What do you mean when you say focus on yourself? Really getting detailed about what that looks like. Yeah, totally. So see your friends. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but when I would get into relationships, I would 100% like stop seeing my friends so much. So go Mm -hmm. out and see your friends. Do all the stuff you used to love before you got into a relationship. Like I remember when I got into a a relationship in high school, I stopped drawing because I just loved drawing. And for a long time, I never picked it back up because I just lost it in that relationship and then just never like really thought about it again. Mm-hmm. Do the stuff that you loved before the, before the relationship. Take care of yourself. Do take baths and do face masks and journal your little heart out with all of your thoughts and everything. Mm-hmm. Just do anything, literally anything that makes you happy. It makes you feel proud. So, I mean depending on where you're at in your life, if you're in high school or you're in college, like just focus on things that are going to make you feel proud of yourself. And that doesn't just have to be school. Cause I know some people don't feel proud about school and I get that. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) But if like you have a hobby, like you love playing guitar, learn a new song. If you love painting, go take a community class somewhere, go take an online class or learn Mm -hmm. something, like do something that just makes you feel really good about yourself. Cause when you feel like crap or you have no like sense of self-identity, you're going to miss that relationship more because it was something to fill you up. But you yeah. want to try and fill you up yourself up with something else mm-hmm. and stuff that makes you feel proud. That's what I mean by focus on yourself. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Okay, you did two of the things. What's the third yeah. thing for getting over so next? The third one is like my secret weapon and helps so much. It's a breakup list. So when I... So what you should do is take out your phone and I say your phone. So you have it everywhere you go with you. Take out Mm -hmm. your phone, create a notes app. And I want you to think of every single thing you did not like about your ex. Anything from like, it was just kind of like, yeah, rub me the wrong way to like, wow, that was horrible. Like, oh, that time they left me at a party and I was all alone and didn't know anyone down to, you know what? Like their style is kind of late. They're breathing. They were a mouth breather. Um, <laughs> and that's like superficial. And I would never say like determine if you want to date someone based off that. Yeah. But if we're talking about an ex, literally anything. It can be superficial. Like I had an ex and I actually thought his beard was weird and his face was kind of shaped weird. <laughs> and I wrote that down. In the Put list. it on the list. Yeah. Put it on the list. And so then anytime that you are sad about the breakup or you're missing this person, pull out the list and read it. And all of a sudden... You're going to, because when you're in a breakup or you're remembering a past relationship, you do, we do, you tend to do this thing called romanticizing. You only remember the good and you don't remember the bad. So if you put all the bad into a notepad and you look, or a note, your notes app, and you look at it whenever you're sad, then you're going to squash any of that romanticizing and you're going to remember what that relationship was actually like. And it mm-hmm. might not make you feel totally better, but it'll make you feel a lot less like longing for what you used to have. Totally. So the last thing that I wanted to touch on was mixed signals. And mm-hmm. that is something that, especially now when we're like kind of navigating like online relationships and communication, yeah. it's so much more prevalent. So what is your kind of guidance around that? How can you tell what someone is truly trying to say to you, et cetera? 
Yeah. So I've always had a very strong mantra about mixed singles. And I think 100%, if someone wants to be with you, they're going to put that effort in. So what I always say is mix, mixed signals are a clear signal. Someone's not interested. There is maybe sometimes very small outliers where someone got really busy or someone came became really you know emotionally upset over something that happened in their life and they just weren't able to communicate that or tell you. And so what I would do if you were someone was sending you mixed signals like you know they're texting you a lot for a week and then all of a sudden go radio silent and you're like what's going on? Bring it up. Bring it up to them. Be like, hey, they know, you know, <laughs> if someone doesn't text you for a week, they know they didn't text you for a week. Be yeah. like, hey, what was up with that? Or is everything okay? And if they give you some excuse that's just kind of like, yeah, everything's fine. Why? Be like, is that the kind of person you want to be with? Do you want to be mm-hmm. with someone that doesn't text you for a week? If you think that person's the one, is that how you want to be treated from the one? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I think about mixed signals. It's just, if someone wants something, they go after it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so from the other, if you're in the other person's shoes where you're like trying to like kind of maybe like distance yourself or kind of put space in that relationship, do you recommend that kind of like, I'm assuming you don't recommend ghosting, but what is your kind of advice for being direct with someone and being like, hey, this isn't working and I'm sorry about that. What is like your your advice yeah. for that? Yeah, I think kind of what you just said, send a text. And I mean, I know it's hard to be, I know it's scary and hard, but I'm trying to, there's two things I want to say. I'm like trying to put them into one thing. Mm -hmm. I know it's scary and hard. No one wants to hurt someone's feelings, right? But just remember that you are still hurting someone's feelings by literally not talking to them and trying to ghost them or like acting like everything's fine, but like slowly pulling away you're making that pain actually harder because guessing what someone's feeling really sucks. And it's much harder to be like, to under, it's just much harder to go through ghosting or the slow fade or whatever. Honestly, even if it's as simple as a text as, hey, I think you're great, but I just don't feel the connection is better than nothing. And honestly, if the person Mm -hmm. comes back at you and they're like, wait, what? No, what? Like, and like, and some people fear that, that someone will be like, no, what? We had a great thing. At yeah. that point, you cannot respond because at that point, you've given them what you've told them it's not working. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice if maybe you explain it, but you don't have to. And at that point, that's not ghosting. You said it's not working. And that's better to give someone than to just be like, oh, this isn't working anymore. Although if you're in a really long relationship, I still suggest giving a bit of explanation. Yes. But but if you're just dating someone for a couple of weeks and you're like, ah, oh, you know what? This isn't, this isn't it. You know, yeah. Hey, like this isn't working anymore. I think we should see other people or I just don't feel a connection. Cause totally. it happens. It's, that's how, that's why we date. We try mm-hmm. to date people. We don't work. And yeah. So I, I think it was on TikTok. You can tell I spend lots of my time on TikTok, <laughs> but I've heard of people kind of being like you know those like really intense ones where they're like do the music and they're like are you dating to date or to find the one and I kind of wanted to hear your perspective on that do you think it's important to be dating to find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with or like casual like kind of what's your headspace around that so I realized yeah this is a huge shift that's happening and that a lot of people want to more casually date and I think there's literally nothing wrong with that I think that if you want to casually date, be clear about it. And there are tons of people out there that want to casually date. 
If you want to try and find a relationship, go for it. I think personally, if I were your age, I would be like, or in college, I would, I would date for if I personally, I would want, I'd be like, oh, I want a relationship, but I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, I'm trying to find the one I'd spend the rest oh of my life. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because gosh, it's like, I, I went to high school with people that married people they went to high school with. <laughs> so, which yeah. blows my mind. but I think it's really, you're going to have even statistics show when you find the one that you're going to marry, like later in life, that relation, you're, that is going to go so much better than if you get married when you're in like high school or something. So Mm -hmm. to date casually, totally fine. To date for a relationship, totally fine. Just be really honest with the person that you're dating about what you want. Cause you'll, if that's the casual dating is what you want, you can find someone that wants that too. And if you want something that's serious, but you're dating someone who wants casual, it's just like, you're both setting yourself up for a lot of pain. Totally. Well, this was such an amazing conversation. We touched on so many different things with mental health and psychology and then just tips and tricks as far as ending relationships and dating and all that kind of stuff. So thank you yeah. so much for joining me today and just Thanks for having me. Yeah. And sitting down and having this conversation. Where can people find you? Yeah, totally. So I'm on TikTok, actually. Love TikTok. <laughs> That's Kirsty Taylor, which is just K-I-R-S-T-I-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R-R, so two R's. And then on Instagram, I'm words with Kirsty. Yeah, that's how people Perfect. Awesome. 